0: I saw myself in a dream yesterday it really freaked me out um, I've often said that if I saw myself like if I was walking down the street and I saw or I ran into my doppelganger I would not be able to recognize myself because if you think about it we only really see ourselves through screens right and in three in, in two dimensions Right, so either you're going to see yourself in a recording or you're going to see yourself in a photo. It's always in two dimensions. And if you've noticed by looking at other people, people don't look the same in the pictures as they do in in real life. And so I kind of always had this understanding that if I were to ever encounter a being that looked exactly like me, I don't think that it would click for me that th- that was me. Right, So I always kind of thought I had this sort of facial blindness. But last night, I definitely saw myself, and I was able to recognize myself in the dream. And um, it really, <laughs> really freaked me out. Um, personally, for me, I feel like some of the scariest moments in movies have been when like, the antagonist, the villain, um, is a double of the protagonist. Like, That's always unnerving to me. Um, for example, in the previews to Jordan Peele's Us movie, the previews freaked me out because I had no idea what these entities were. I thought they were like parallel versions of Lupita's family from like an ultimate, alternate dimension that had managed to kind of permeate through the boundary, you know, that separated our realities from their own and have come to, and had come through to like kill them and take over their lives. Um, but I, my mind and my imagination as to what I thought the movie was going to be about was overactive. So I just, every time that the preview came up for the movie, like it freaked out, it freaked me out. And then I would go see the movie and I was like, eh. <laughs> okay, that's not what I thought this was going to be about. That movie had the potential to be like incredibly, incredibly, you know, outstanding, right? Like, like I still talk about get out today, you know, to this day, I feel like in us, he kind of restricted himself. and, And I wish he hadn't, because the concept of being faced by your double, right, the character, another person, no entity in this world knows you more than you know yourself, not your mom, not your dad, not your best friend, not your spouse, right, knows your every thought, your every desire, every weird, crazy thing you've ever sort of, you know, Imagined. Nobody knows except for you. Now imagine something that you thought, you know, think about the voice in your head that says crazy shit to you all the time that kind of stresses you out and, you know, brings you down. And, you know, but also that same voice can, you know, lift you up and, you know, be there for you and encourage you. It's a dual edge, edge sword, but for the most part, sword rather, but for the most part, that entity is confined in, you know, is relegated to the confines of your psyche. Now imagine something happened and that entity was sort of removed from your mind and embodied into a physical form and is standing right in front of you right now. Like there's no defense against that, right? And I think that's why it always freaked me out because if, like if it was like a demon or something or a monster or an alien, like you, you could fight that, you know? But there's something that comes up when it's you because you have this, one this fear that this thing knows your every move this entity that's your double knows your every move and two um you also have this built-in like sense of self-preservation so <laughs> you're already at a disadvantage because you have like you're programmed to not hurt yourself so how can you attack something you know that wants to hurt that wants to hurt you that looks just like you right so Yes, for me, the idea, the concept of doppelgangers has always sort of freaked me out. Um, And I've read books on quantum physics where physicists have said, like, you know, for everything that there's matter, there's also antimatter. And so that means out there, not even just in parallel universes where there are just parallel versions of you, but there are also opposite versions of you, like anti-you. And that kind of, you know, makes my skin crawl. So the dream that I had yesterday, it was like a twofer of dreams that I never had before. One, I saw myself in a dream, which I've never, literally never had, um, never had that experience before. And two, I had one of those dreams where I woke up and I thought I was awake, but I was still in a dream. So it was like two for two uh, as far as new experiences were concerned. And what it was, was my husband was getting ready to go for a fishing trip um, yesterday. Uh, and... um and I, I, I think I partially had been um, awoken you know, uh, or partially awake because I heard him, you know, get up out of bed, go brush his teeth or whatever. It was like five o'clock in the morning. So I say last night, but it was technically, you know, uh, morning. Um, however, you know, I, part, I was still asleep, but I was aware of him getting out of bed. So I think that's why my mind kind of made it so that or was able to convince me that I was like still asleep. And or, or, I'm sorry, not still asleep, but I was like awake. But it copied my bedroom to the T. Every, even every change that I'd made um, was reflected. So I'd recently cleared the clutter off of the top of my dresser. And so the dream was not projecting like the memories of my dresser and my room over the last four years, but actually of that, like the most recent image of me You know of that decluttered dresser so yeah i don't even i can't even recall if you told me to name 10 objects that are in my bedroom right now i don't think i could tell you off the top of my head but somehow my brain had you know captured this this new bedroom and replicated it to the t and so i'm laying in bed this is a dream i'm laying in bed on my side i'm watching my husband come as he, he always does to my side of the to the room And uh, to give me a kiss, to say, you know, goodbye. I'm going on this trip or whatever. And so I kind of open my eyes. As he's walking, um, alongside him is fucking me. (laughs) And so he bends down, says, okay, you know, see you later, and gives me a kiss. And then she bends down the same way, and she gives me a kiss, too. She kisses me on the forehead. And the energy was good. It was like a maternal, you know nurturing, protective, it was me. It it was me. It was definitely me. And what I mean by that is this. So like I said, you only ever see yourself in like reflections, right? So I only see myself in pictures, through a screen, you know, in two dimension. I've never seen myself in 3D. And think about it every time, like think about the person, like think about your best friend and think about what she looks like in a picture versus what she looks like in 3D. You, You know, a picture can only capture you know, like a specific moment, it doesn't capture the nuances, the personality of a person while they're interacting with you. Right. And keep in mind that with yourself, you know, you're not seeing yourself 24 seven. So other people have a better idea of your nuances and your movements and the way you smirk and right, because they're, they're seeing you, you know, more often than you see yourself. So, for me, I know, or at least I was made aware, but there's a there's a certain sort of deviousness to my personality. Like I'm always, there's a, you know, I'm, I'm a good, loving, caring, kind person, but there's a bit of me that's a bit devious, not in a negative way, just a bit sly, right? Like I'm about to tell a joke that I know is inappropriate, but you can't, you know, stop me from, from saying it. And that's always kind of like the like right underneath at the edge of everything, right? So I, I, I'm very put together, but there's a hint of deviousness to me. Um, I know that about myself, but obviously I don't see myself. So it's just something that I know. But when I saw myself in the dream, I knew that that was me because I caught that hint of that same sly deviousness that I normally you know uh, feel like I give off. I caught that in her. Now, there's no way I would have been able to see that, you know, in the picture. I don't take a lot of pictures of myself. This is a podcast. I could be on YouTube. I just, you know, have a couple of videos that I've put on my YouTube channel, but I just, I don't like being in front of the camera, which is weird (laughs) considering that I modeled for, you know, over a decade, but I just, there's just something about being in front of the camera that I don't like. Um, And, and, and I don't watch even on, on in the times that I've done videos and and things like that, I I won't go back and look at myself on camera, but I was able to recognize that that wasn't just a copy of me. It was like the doppelganger in my dream, I should say, wasn't like a copy of me. It was like me to the T, and it presented itself in a way that a person outside of myself, like my husband, would have seen me, right? Or my daughter would have seen me. I was able to see myself. The way other people saw me and that wasn't something that I could glean from a video because I don't watch videos of myself or glean from a photo because what I saw was something that you could only see when you're interacting with another human being right that when I other people have seen that aspect of myself when they look at me but I've never really seen myself like that in that way until last night so that was very interesting um And like I said, the whole energy was positive, thankfully, because that (laughs) could have easily been a nightmare. Um, Just because like I said, like, for me, of all the scary images that exist out there, um, what's the most unnerving to me is encountering a double. So that could have gone left field. And I'm glad that um, it didn't. But in the dream I looked exactly the same as I did before I went to sleep. I was wearing my favorite you know, baby pink Victoria's Secret pajamas. Um, <laughs> I had my glasses on, my pink glasses on. I had my head scarf on, you know, the you know, the night scarf that you you know, lay your your hair down so it doesn't get all dry. You know, I had all that, my silk scarf on, um <laughs> everything. It was me to a T plus that sly sort of devious smirk or whatever like it was all there and now that I'm even talking about I'm like why was she smirking because like she knew that I was like whoa wait a minute (laughs) you know what I mean like it was like connecting with like a friend but not really but like the energy felt (sighs) the energy felt kind of old you know or maybe just timeless I'm not sure Um, so yeah, but it it does, the interaction does beg the question that if that was me, right, that I was looking at, it was also me that was in bed, right? And so it begs the question of the, of the split self. So in previous episodes, I have mentioned the writings of Dr. Vyas Ramachandran, where he discusses the influence each hemisphere of your brain has on your body and your reality experience. And that's just on a physical level. So I'm not even talking about really you know, psychically or consciousness or, you know, quantum times, you know, or parallel selves or whatever, or your higher selves or demons. Just on a physical level, uh, neuroscientists have said that, you know, your two hemispheres of your brain are responsible for two different things. If you damage one side of the brain, you know, your personality completely changes. There have also been experiments that they've done where they've hypnotized um, patients and they ask their... These are patients that have had like their left and their right hemisphere separated. And so then the doctors will kind of interview each hemisphere. I'm oversimplifying this, but interview each hemisphere and ask one per, one version or one hemisphere, what do you want to be when you grow up? And their left brain will answer like an artist. And then their right brain will answer like a race car driver. The same individual, but two different answers. And the conclusion is that there is this silent observer self I think it's in your left I believe it's your left hemisphere um that it's a whole different person versus your right hemisphere which is the one that does more of the um talking um so that's just on a physical level the neuroscientists are straight up admitting that yeah there's two personalities each individuals each individual has two personalities contained in one uh body okay and then I've also mentioned the writings of Dr. Anthony Peake in his numerous, numerous examples in all of his books from The Daemon to Is There Life After Death to Labyrinth of Time, where he does a great, great job of giving, you know, countless, countless examples of people who've communicated with their future selves or seen their future selves There have been instances of people who were hypnotized and were able to travel back in time through their own memories and become their own daemon of their past selves, believe it or not. So I would, you know, recommend that you check out his writings. And then you also have in the writings of Pibu Uspensky and Gurdjieff, who they've stressed in their writings repeatedly that a human being is not one entity, but many selves many eyes contained in one. So let's just roll roll on the premise and just accept as you're listening to this that it's the person that you see looking in the mirror is not just you. There's like at the very least two entities and you could split it and say left brain, right brain if you want to just focus on the material aspect and the brain or you can split it as higher self, lower self um, or uh, consciousness and physical form um, I think the Hindus have words for it as well. I can't think of the names right now, but they also said like there's the body and then there's this, this consciousness that controls the body or the body controls the consciousness, right? And the, the whole idea is self-mastery. You have to control the beast. You have to tame the machine, et cetera, et cetera. So over and over again, we're basically taught that man is not one. Mankind, humankind is not one entity, um, at the very least, it's two, and some have said that th- th- you contain a multitude. Um, and, of course, as you guys have, you know, my regular listeners know, I've, in my own personal experience, I've increasingly felt as though my future self has been influencing, directing my choices, and that I've been getting revelations from and more or less communicating non-verbally through, a, you know, synchronistic events um, that I've been sort of communicating with my future self. I've explicitly just come out and said that and I've chronicled that phenomenon um on this very podcast. So, um I don't think that my sudden ability to see my my doppelganger in my dreams happened by chance. I think I think it was strongly correlated with the mushroom trip that I had mentioned and talked about um 2 episodes ago. Um and I had this. I'd taken, I think it was 0.8 grams of some some mushrooms, some quote magic mushrooms, last Wednesday, and um, and I shared my experience on the podcast. Um, and I think it, it definitely did something to my brain. It changed something in my brain. And um, and I talked about it two two episodes ago, but I wanted to kind of uh, update my listeners on on how it's been over the past week um since trying uh, the psychedelics for the first time um, I believe in this podcast as well as the Dark Oracle's guide to the multiverse my other podcast um I discussed the concept of everybody of everything rather everything having a cost everything costs um I cited a quote on um from Montaigne Montaigne Montaigne, I never know how to pronounce his name, M-O-N-T-A-I-G-N-E, who wrote, the gods sell us every good they give us. That is to say, they give us nothing pure and perfect, nothing we do not buy at the cost of some evil. Nothing we do not buy at the cost of some evil. The gods sell us every good they give us at the cost of some evil. So everything has a cost. And I talked about that on my mushroom trip episode as well. That was two episodes ago um, about how, while I was on the mushrooms, I felt incredibly good, like incredibly good, and for hours, like literally six hours of just full body orgasms, which kind of led me to conclude that I don't think that if I were to do mushrooms again, that I would take such a high dose, which was a high dose for me. Um, Because I felt, especially while I was high, like in the back of my mind, I knew that with every peak um, that I was kind of engaged in, every thrust up, right, just feeling incredibly high, right, I was going to have to pay for that with an inevitable crash. Um, And up until I used the mushrooms, it, it had been my conscious practice to seek to avoid extremes, so avoid extreme highs and avoid extreme lows, and just to maintain a sense of balance and equilibrium, right, Um, which once I kind of got on the mushrooms, I I was out of balance, and while I was, it felt really good, it was like too extreme on one end, and I knew that obviously when a pendulum swings one direction, it has to kind of swing back, and this past week, has been me paying for those six hours of extreme bliss and motivation and, you know, thinking very quickly. Um, I have swung in the opposite direction and this week has been, has been, you know, I've been sluggish and I've lacked motivation and my thinking has been fuzzy. I've been irritable and short tempered. Um, yeah. And all, all of the above. Um, it's why I haven't actually been putting out as much episodes since last Wednesday. In fact, the episode I put up yesterday was an episode that I recorded late May, right? Around when the riots had happened, but then I decided not to publish it, you know, out of respect for what was going on in the country. Um, but the reason why I posted that episode was because like every time I would sit down and try to record a podcast... I literally felt this haze of like self-doubt and self-criticism and self-judgment as to whether or not my podcast made sense, if I was making a difference, if people even found what I was saying like to like helpful, or if I just sound like a the insane ravings of an you know of a crazy person. I, I really haven't struggled with those feelings before. In fact, pre-mushroom trips, I'd gotten a handle on those feelings. Um, I should not no. I shouldn't say I never had those feelings before. I have, but. I had really, before the mushroom trip, I had really gotten a handle on those feelings of doubt and self-criticism. And I resigned myself to just saying, yo, this is your truth, right? Speak your truth and damn the noise. Just put it out there, you know, just somewhere out there, you know, that you're you're putting the message out there, somewhere out there, someone's going to hear what you're saying and connect with it and damn everything else. And that's how... I started to operate. In fact, some of my long term listeners um, will attest to this fact because on some episode I actually battled these sort of demons on air. And I'm sure you guys heard me defeat, you know, those thoughts. But this week, you know, all of these like thoughts of Dalton, they all kind of came flooding back, leaving me feeling like I had regressed to a former version of myself. Um, yeah, I also felt very alone, like, over the past week, at my lowest, I felt, I felt I should say that, I felt like I, like my future self, you know, the, my higher self, my Damon had sort of abandoned me, right? Um, because I, I guess I had this feeling that by taking the mushrooms, I changed something in my brain that had caused me to lose my ability to communicate with my future self, with her. Now obviously this was a falsehood. And that dream that I had last night was like sort of a confirmation that, you know, she was still there. um, Maybe not, you know, where I could hear like auditory or through synchronicity, um, but I was able to see her Um, as well. Um, But this week was tough. I mean, absolutely tough. Um, I felt disconnected. Like I said, I felt down, I felt alone. And I felt most importantly, like I was back to my pre-conscious self, except something was different this time. So all of those feelings were not true. I, I, looking back, I still had synchronistic events happening. Like I would, I still, maybe not recording on the podcast, but for sure text messages to my friends. Like I would say stuff to my cousin, for example, and then I would go and buy a book and then the book would say exactly what I just said to him. Then I would send him a clip. Hey, this is happening again, or I'll call something. And then he, he would say, Hey, you called us. So all of that was still happening. Nothing had changed. Um, I was still being led more or less, but I just, it was like I didn't believe what was happening and, and my mind just chose to believe that I was back to this pre-conscious, lower vibrational, you know, disconnected from my higher self. Uh, self. So for example, when I find myself getting agitated, you know, I should say I find myself getting agitated like very quickly at things and at people who I hadn't let annoy me in a really long time. But here's the difference, though. Remember, I said that there was like there's a, it was a falsehood. So my past self, when things would agitate me, I would just react. Um, however, even during this week, even though I was more short tempered and easily annoyed and you know grouchy, for lack of a better word, there was something else there with me that was stronger, stronger than a logical practice of non-reactivity, right, that made me pause. It still prompted me before, like, I would feel the annoyance, but I would still pause before speaking. And it wasn't like a logical knowledge of, okay, just pause. Like, it wasn't mechanical, Right, which it had been pre mushrooms. Like somebody would annoy me, I, have, I had more or less trained myself to just pause before speaking, or smile, you know, instead of being annoyed. Th- this was something else. This is more like a like a force that was getting me to slow down my reactions, not mechanically, but more intuitively. Like it it become it had become sort of a part of me. And part of my reactions, so to speak. I don't know if I'm explaining that well enough. But <laughs> it's because I, I don't know how I could say that I was grouchy, but yet still conscious. At the same time, the only thing I could, I could say is like my left side was grouchy. But my right side would temper that grouchiness and slow down my reactions. Just enough to to, you know put myself in other people's shoes and to have empathy and compassion for them. Now, in the past, before Mushrooms, it was me, like, logically saying, pause, don't react, count to three. Well, I lost the ability to do that mechanically, logically, but those same reactions were there, but they were more, like, innate. So even though I was feeling agitated, and I'm moving my left hand as I'm talking about this, even though I was feeling agitated and short-tempered... I was still able to, even, like, my vibe was, was super negative. Like, people around me, my husband kept asking, like, are you okay? Because I was giving off, like, really, like, negative vibes. And, um, but I was still able to maintain a lockstep of non-reactivity and kind of holding myself together. And it wasn't mechanical this time, but it actually felt more natural. All right. Um yeah, I hope that makes sense. So um so I guess I could say I was my old grouchy self, my old pre meditation, pre reading, pre quote woke self while simultaneously being tempered by my post meditation, post erudite, post fasting, post spiritual self. But that post self felt more a part of my entire being, like a yin and yang, as opposed to just me mechanically trying to control my reactions. I guess you could say that after the mushroom trip, my old unconscious habits were re-triggered and reactivated, but my, conscious, my consciousness and my awareness were sort of amplified or became more cohesive, a more a cohesive part of, of me right it became those sort of things that i'd practiced and worked on and i you know gleaned through medica- meditation and fasting and things like that became more a a part of my nature i, I repeated it like 15 times i think you, i think you guys know what i mean um i've never before truly felt like two people in one body as much as i felt this past week like i literally feel dual i have felt very dual and um I will say this, that as the days have moved further away from the day of imbibing those mushrooms, I've become more balanced, more cohesive, um, less reactive. And I'm starting to slowly feel like my old pre-mushroom, more conscious and more balanced self again. So basically, I swung... Left on the mushrooms and was like feeling super high, and then after the mushrooms, like swung right for the past week. I was feeling you know super low and vibration, vibrating really low. But I became more cohesive, and my conscious sort of exercises became more instinctive and more intuitive. I didn't have to think okay, pause, I just would do it naturally and was able to keep myself from lashing out and being, you know, reactive. Um, yeah. So you're probably wondering if what I've experienced this week would be considered a, quote, side effect of psychedelics. And if you're contemplating taking them yourself, you're probably feeling maybe discouraged by what I've just reported. Like a, a week-long hangover, which is basically what I've been <laughs> um feeling like. Um it's probably not what everybody wants to hear. I'm I'm not telling you this to discourage you. Um, it's not my t- intention to scare you off of psychedelics. That's something you wanna, you know, try, I think, you know, you do your research. Um it is I should say, um not legal, so <laughs> just bear that in mind. Um it's a planned, but anyway, uh, just uh, this is not meant in any way to encourage you or discourage you it 's just me sharing my experience um as honestly and succinctly as I possibly can um, I will say that i don 't think that my experience post mushrooms are unique, and I would also say that i don 't think that my experience post high are unique to psychedelics as i 've stated, everything has a cost, so every high that you feel, whether it 's true through alcohol, through sugar, through weed, right? Everything has a cost, right? So in the words of Montan, Montaigne, however you say his name, the gods sell us every good at the cost of some evil. It's why the Kabbalion, another book I would recommend, it states it's best to rise above peaks and troughs um, of life and maintain a level of homeostasis and equilibrium as best as you can. So what I'm saying is I, I peaked too high last night, like I, last Wednesday rather. Um, I mean, and it was, it was great. You know, I still remember it and it's, it was a very pivotal moment in my life, but I did peak very high. And what, what I went through this past week um, is natural, right? It's just a result, that depression that I felt, that le- lethargy that I felt, it was the cost I had to pay for that peak that I felt. It it was a pendulum, swinging in the opposite direction. Um, Post shrooms, I've read about four books on psychedelics, um, just to understand what I was going through and the, the entire experience better. And the books that I read were "Food of the Gods," DMT, the Spirit Mo- Molecule, Sacred Knowledge, and LSD in the Mind of the Universe if you'd like to check those books, books out, I would strongly recommend it. Um, but in DMT, The Spirit Molecule, I think it was DMT, The Spirit Molecule. It might have been either that one or LSD and The Mind of the Universe. Um, the author spoke about the nausea and anxiety and, and, and fear that, accompan- that accompanies um, a trip. And sometimes it's a prequel. You feel the nausea before you trip. And sometimes it happens while you're tripping um but the authors state that those negative feelings might have been both books but they, they said that those negative feelings of nausea and anxiety you can't fight them they're just a cost that's my interpretation the, the cost part is my interpretation but they both both authors said that you have to just lean into that negativity right Lean into those feelings of anxiety and let them kind of wash over you. Don't, you can't fight them. They're not to be avoided. It's just part of the entire process. Um, another book I read this past week was called uh, Radical Acceptance. Um, that also helped me recall my lessons that I learned in my studies on Buddhism about accepting what is as is. And I was guided to read all of those books. Um, by my higher self. Like they just kind of, those, all five books came across my paths sort of randomly and synchronistically. And when they were recommended, I just, you know, if I felt intuitively, okay, I need to read this, I just bought the books and, and read them. And they were exactly what I needed to hear, exactly when I needed to hear it. So those feelings of, of feeling disconnected and they were all false because I was still through this past week being guided. In the same ways that I had been before doing the mushrooms, it just felt like I wasn't. I just felt disconnected. I just felt low. But that was obviously the cost that I had to pay for feeling hyper-connected and hyper high and all all of the above, right? Um, so one of my friends who had also tried shrooms um, this past month and had been using it you know, this past week, she uh, texted me out of the blue and uh, she told me she's been feeling similarly down as well and saying that she'd been trying to fight the unhappiness, and I told her, you can't fight, you cannot fight it, like, you peak, that was the upswing, you know, and every time you swing, you gotta let the, even on the swing set, it's gotta go back, and I told her the same thing, you know, everything costs, everything costs, I think people being largely unaware of this law, you know, that water seeks its own level, that what goes up must come down, that everything, regresses to the mean, you know, these are truths that are said in different ways, but they're speaking to the same thing that I've been saying, which is that everything has a cost and everything has to regress back to the, you know, you can't swing on one, in one direction and not regress back, you know, go back to the opposite direction so that you are balanced. And I think people being largely unaware of this law, this universal law causes people to become addicted, you know, to drugs. Um, and and causes them to take substances, basically, that to continually just to avoid feeling that drop after their their drug leaves the system. Right when they so you take you drink alcohol, you feel really good, and then the next day you start feeling down, but you don't want you, you don't want to deal with your body trying to balance that feeling of you being up and that downswing. So you just drink more. Right. I had a friend that she drank a lot and she told me like she was drinking during the day and she said, well, she just drank so that she would avoid feeling the, the hangover. Well, that's how people become addicted to drugs, because they never allow, they never allow the system to balance itself out. Right. Um, so they just keep taking in more and more drugs constantly um, to just stay kind of high. That's addiction, more or less, right? It's, it's, addiction at the core is the inability to feel the discomfort, the depression, the anxiety, the, the fear. That's the inability to accept the cost as part of the process. You can't go up without eventually coming down. And When you come down, you have to just sit with it, power through it, ride right the wave. The human body isn't meant, it isn't built to operate at either extremes for long periods of time. You need to know this before taking any mind-altering drugs. Um, and that's not just psychedelics. Like I said, it could be sugar, it could be alcohol, caffeine, weed, mushrooms, DMT. Everything costs. right? You take a bunch of sugar and you're going to crash. Right? You drink a bunch of caffeine, you're going to crash. You smoke a bunch of weed, you're going to be hungover. Take a bunch of mushrooms, you're going to be hungover. You take a bunch of DMT, you're going to throw up. Everything has a cost. You need to know this going in right? so that you can adequately be prepared for it and accept it as an inevitable consequence of being high. This is why I've suggested, and I suggested in a previous episode, and I'm suggesting it again, that if you are going to take mushrooms, it's best to just take small, small microdoses. In my opinion, at least, you know, that's my opinion. I'm not telling you to try mushrooms, but what I would say is, at least for me, I, if I were to do this again, <laughs> I'm trying to dance around uh, legalities or whatever, but... Um, I would just take small, small, small doses so that I can avoid becoming extremely high so that I don't have to pay for that high feeling with you know, the inevitable drop. So anyway, um, this brings me back to the duality of the self. I know some of you listening might have a hard time accepting when I talk about communicating with my future self. It's not my place to convince you that I'm right, <laughs> um it's just to provide my thought, but think of it like this: a seed contains within it all of the data that will allow it to become all versions of its one self, right, so you have a seed, and in that seed, it has information, has data stored in stored in it, the seedling self, the plant self, and the inevitable tree self, so that's it's past which is a seed, it has its present, if it becomes a seedling, and then you have the future, which is a tree, and it's all contained in that seed, and it's awaiting just the right circumstances that will cause it to bring forth the eventual, quote-unquote, evolution. It's not evolution, because everything is already built in, contained within the seed, right? So a seedling doesn't evolve into a tree, it's programmed to do that, it's programmed to become a tree, and it's all there, present in one seed, Right? Same with a psychedelic plant, right? It has contained within it certain chemicals that when released under the right circumstances, released in your brain, it allows for great insight, but there's a duality, right? So the seed can be a seed, but also a tree contained in one. And then you have a psychedelic plant that can have Great insight, but also anxiety and nausea contained in one, right? A day contains within itself a morning and a night. And a solid body casts a non-corporal shadow. In fact, that solid body is comprised, comprised mostly of empty space. If you go and you look at your baby pictures, you'll see... In your face, all of the faces that you've had, just in that baby picture, you'll see all the faces that you've worn up until the age you are now. All of those faces were stored in your body's DNA, like a seed. And everything that you will become is stored, is inscribed. In your DNA, in your DNA. that, quote, junk DNA, that's language, that's code. It's not junk. It's just, scientists call it junk because they don't fucking understand it. It's not junk. It, it's, it's code. It's a message. And it contains everything in it that you will be, like a seed contains in it, the tree. All right? And just as all of your memories, both past and future, are stored in your brain, your brain is the seed. And then your consciousness can now access all of those memories. Right? The past, present, and future memories all stored in your brain. Your consciousness can access all of that under the right circumstances. Because Unlike a seed becoming a tree, your consciousness is not bound to time. The human mind, what makes, it, what makes the human brain great is that it can project itself into probable futures. Unfortunately, we use that ability when we worry, but you can also project yourself back in, in time. Um, and unfortunately, we use that negative when we regret, right? We look back on our lives. But no other animal, as far as we know, on this planet is able to travel back and forth in time as as the human brain does. We just think that we can only go backwards. We, we just think we can only go in one direction. There's nothing in this world that can only go in one direction. Why do you think your mind only goes in one direction? So if you can go back in time, regress back in time, and be hypnotized to kind of remember your memories from your past, and it's all stored in your brain, what makes you think that that same consciousness can't remember your future. Think about that. Like, I really need you to think about that. Some people have actually argued that your consciousness can and does travel through time, through your memories, at the time of your death, in order to go back to the beginning of your life and influence yourself, thus guiding you to make different choices, your next incarnation of the of the same persona that's basically anthony peaks is there life after death i'll leave you with this one final thought we all see the world out there through our minds when you are awake yet When you dream, that same mind shows you worlds inside, in there. You have the world out there, and then you have the world in there, allowing you, I should say, the world out there, and then the world in here, the opposite, right? And it allows you to see with your eyes closed. Think about all the things you see when you dream. Your eyes are closed, and yet you can still see. You're laying in bed and yet you can hear voices. You could touch and be touched. You could feel sensations from other worlds. All from your own bed. I have woken up with pain from being hurt in a dream. I've woken up still hearing echoes of voices of people. Remembering children that i had in these dreams nobody ever stops to think about how fucking amazing it is that every night we literally see and live other lives you know we're we're so programmed in this world by our scientists who because they can't understand something or they can't put a neat little bow on something and a nice explanation on something they just say it's nothing it's a hallucination it's just a dream it's just a fragment blah, 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 whatever. No, it's not. If It's, I mean, the audacity. You have shamans, you know, shamans from for millennia who underst- have a better understanding of what goes on in their psyche than our actual scientists and neurologists do. But we're told to ignore their cultural observations because they're non-European, or non lettered, or don't have degrees. But they're more experienced. They understand the inner psyche. You have shamans go in through meditation, through self induced trances. They're able to go back in within themselves and communicate with plants, communicate with that. That's how, for example, ayahuasca, the recipe for ayahuasca, it was like a combination of two plants they were able to get this information. And when Western scientists asked them, how did they figure out these two plants combined together, made it so that the DMT was able to be absorbed rather than, you know, broken down, they straight up said the plants told us. And of course, scientists dismiss it. Western science isn't the end all be all. And the things that we don't know in Western society is, infinitely greater than the things that we claim to know. You just need to sit with that. So every night you see things and you touch things and you hear things in your own mind. And, and we're taught we're taught to take these things for granted or to dismiss them. Dismiss the fact dismiss the fact that the mind literally takes you to different worlds every night. Every night. Don't scoff at the thought of you traveling through your own timeline using your own brain. The same brain that you've had as a child is the same brain you're going to have, you know, as you get close to death. It's the same brain and time isn't real. It's just, it's an illusion. It's the same brain. It's the same mind, rather. So... Why wouldn't you be able to influence your own self, utilizing the same brain that you have now and have had and will have if time is an illusion? Your future self exists right now. Think of your brain as what I imagine the future of television will be like, an interactive choose-your-own-destiny sort of storyline like Black Mirror's Bandersnatch, but way more complex and on a quantum, multidimensional wavelength. All possible choices are pre-recorded and uploaded into your brain. You then run the storyline and make choices as the story prods on, your life story prods on, a sort of deterministic free will, if you will. And at any point, you can rewind and go back through your memories and make different choices. Maybe it was my future self I saw in the dream telling me or showing me that she was still around. And that she would eventually return when, at the same time, my husband returned from his fishing trip. His trip was a great source of anxiety for me. As I was plagued with fears and anxieties and worries, you know, he's going out to sea, you know, in waters that were kind of rough and, you know, given everything that's happening right now, I I had a lot of anxiety around that. And I was worried all day. I'm not used to not hearing from him all day. I've never, he's never, at least not while he's been with me, ever gone out to sea. So, the day that he went on the trip, I was really anxious. And I kind of wonder if my higher self was also trying to, or my future self, or whatever you want to call it, was also letting me know she was going with him to make sure that he was going to be safe. Because they walked in tandem together, which is pretty dope. Um, but, it, but I had to sit in those feelings Of anxiety. I had to shine the light of my consciousness on it. I had to observe, I had to make myself observe how I felt and how I wanted to react. I had to sit and watch the emotions of worry and anxiety and all the accompanying thoughts penetrate my mind. But in the past, I would have tried to fight those feelings. And instead of trying to fight those feelings, I just accepted them as natural. They weren't productive thoughts. (laughs) They weren't helpful thoughts, but they were natural. It was natural for me as a person to worry about my spouse who was going fishing in international waters and rough seas in these uncertain times. These were natural feelings. And that's something that I gleaned from reading the book Radical Acceptance, which I was also guided to read by my future self. So I sat with those feelings. I watched how they made me feel. I dissected them. Instead of trying to push them away, I accepted them the way you accept nausea as a natural part of a trip, right? Life is a trip. And I think I said this three episodes ago, probably, but everything is a trip, both negative and positive emotions is still energy. And so regardless of how they make you feel, It's still energy and there's a part of you that feeds on that. And so I had to sit with that feeling and watch it and and watch myself. And I guess in a way, even just let those feelings kind of wash over me. I had to ride the wave. I couldn't control the situation. All I could do was paint. Paint observe the feelings, and ride the wave. But when he came back, it was weird. As soon as he came back, the depression that I had felt this past week lifted. And today, I no longer feel disconnected from my higher self. So the dream was multifaceted, multi-layered, and it was a strangely prophetic dream. It could be taken, you know, in, in many ways. It could be taken as, you know, my future self was going with him to make sure he was going to be, you know, he was okay. But also that I was going to come back. I was going to become more of myself. My old, my, my, I guess my conscious self, my less depressed, more balanced self would return at the exact same time that he came back from his trip. So, yeah, I just wanted to share that with you guys. Um, I'm back to to me. And, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to, you know, new discoveries, new insights, and sharing these thoughts with you. Um, As always, thanks for listening.